You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Uh, my name is Brandon. I am uh, one of the pastors on staff here. I'm really uh, grateful and excited to be up here, um, or, or down here, I guess I should say. This is my first time preaching in the uh, in the new building, so this is a special morning for me. Also, believe it or not, I've never been projected live on two giant uh, movie theater screens before, so this is new. Uh, I, I've been told I have to stay between these two pieces of tape, or I'm going to go out of frame. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh Anyway, today we're going to continue a series that we've been in for a few weeks. Uh, if you're new, what we're doing right now is we are uh, currently reading through and, and learning from a book of the Bible called Ephesians. Uh, and let me just give you some uh, backstory real quick on this book. If you don't know, uh, there is a guy named Paul in the Bible. Paul was a missionary and a church planner, a guy who God pretty much used to get the church of Jesus Christ off the ground. He used Paul to write a ton of what we call the New Testament today. Uh, And this guy, Paul, is writing this letter that we call Ephesians, and he's writing to a group of Christians who lived in a city called Ephesus. If you're a nosy person, man, you'll love the Bible, because when you read the Bible, you get to read other people's mail. And that's what we're doing in this series. This is a letter that Paul wrote to this group of Christians in Ephesus. And this group of Christians, this church was a big part of the New Testament. Uh, They're mentioned all throughout the New Testament. They're one of the seven churches mentioned in the book of uh, Revelation. And also then this is not biblical, so it may not be true, but I thought it was fun uh, to just think about. But church history says that the apostle John, who is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, really Jesus's best friend, church history says that John actually became a part of this church in Ephesus. John was probably the only disciple of Jesus who wasn't killed or martyred for his faith. Church history says that John probably probably died of old age and he probably died in Ephesus. And also when Jesus was dying on the cross, both this guy, John and Mary, the mother of Jesus were there at the cross. And if you remember, Jesus said to John, Hey, John, with his dying breath, Hey, John, take care of my mother, Mary for me. So Mary, the mother of Jesus very well could have been a member of the church in Ephesus because John was taking care of Mary, just like Jesus, Jesus asked him to. So this church was very special and this church was especially special to Paul, the guy who's writing this letter, because for one, Paul basically started this church. Also, at one point, Paul actually spent three years in this church working with them, serving them. That's that's longer than he stayed at any other church that he planted. Also, Paul had an apprentice named Timothy, who was like Paul's spiritual son, a guy who Paul loved really, really a, a lot. And, and Paul established Timothy to be one of the main guys to lead this church. There are two books of the Bible, uh, First and Second Timothy. The First and Second Timothy are both letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, instructing him on how to lead, giving him pointers on how to lead this church in Ephesus. So Ephesus is a really special church to Paul. He really loved these people. And the reason that I'm starting out by telling you all this is because today we're going to be reading a prayer that Paul prayed for this group of people that he loved. And the name of this message this morning, I think we have it up on the screen, is this, how do you pray for the people that you love? How do you pray for the people that you love? The Bible says, 
Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Father, forgive them, right? The Bible says, pray for those in authority, your governors, your presidents, whether you like them or not, pray for them so that you may live a peaceful and quiet life, the Bible says. Pray for wisdom and discernment as they make decisions. The Bible says, pray for lost people in your lives. I know a lot of us have people who we love that are lost, who don't have a real, genuine, saving relationship with Jesus Christ. So for them, we pray they would see the truth and that they would follow Jesus. But the Bible is also saying, right here. Don't forget to pray for those people in your life who you love, who already know Jesus, right? Don't let those people slip through the cracks of your prayer life. They need prayer too. But I don't know if you're like me, but I've been confused about how exactly to do that. You know, like, have y'all ever been confused about how exactly to, to pray for those people? Like, Lord, I just, uh, I lift up my good friend Billy from church, even though he's like 300 pounds, I just lift him up to you. I, I, I pray that you would be with Billy, you know. I pray that you would bless Billy, you know. Like, it's just kind of hard, you know. It's just kind of tough. Or maybe you want to pray for someone you love, but you ask them, you know, how can I pray for you? And they're like, unspoken unspoken, right? Or, or pray for my great aunt's cat, Mr. Whiskers. Mr. Whiskers is going to the vet this week. He could really use your prayers. Pray for my cousin, Jessica. She stubbed her big toe this week really bad, but, but is that it? You know, and until something a little bit more serious pops up in their lives, is that all we should be praying for these people that we love? Because I don't know about y'all, but to me, it feels like I should, I should be praying something more daily, regularly for the people that I, that I love. Like I I love my wife. I I love my kids so much, but how do I really pray for them? You know, like really pray for them. I want to approach God begging him to give them something they really need, something they can only get from him. Same thing with my, my friends, my family, my church family. I love them. How can I be praying for them every single day? That's what our passage is going to teach us. It's going to give us some really practical but really powerful things that we can and should pray for the people we love every single day. So what we're about to read, y'all, is a special Holy Spirit-inspired prayer that Paul prayed for these group, this group of people that he loved. Here we go. This is how we should pray for the people we love. I'm just going to read the whole passage. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, Paul says, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ so it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And that's a prayer. Like, imagine being like a small group or you're going around in a circle praying and the person before you prays that. You know, he's like, I'm good. And there's no top in that. I'll just do the, the typical Christianese thing and just be like, I just echo that prayer, God. Yeah. Y'all, if I'm, if I'm being honest, I've, I've read this passage plenty of times before, uh, but I've never really stopped to appreciate and to fully understand what exactly it is that Paul is praying for this group of people that he really loves. And now that I have, and I'm not lying to you, or just trying to hype you up, this is true. My prayers for others, my prayer life in general, has radically changed. This passage of Scripture has truly been monumental to my prayer life and to my relationship with Jesus and to my relationship with others. And again, I don't say that lightly. I really mean that. Like, um, 
Like, I just turned 30 a few days ago, and I hate saying that. It sounds so gross, you know? 30, 30. A couple days ago, I was in my 20s, and that was fun to say. 20s. Now I'm 30, right? But if you turned 30, I'm guessing a lot of you guys have turned 30 before, uh, then you know that this birthday... It just feels different than, than, than any other birthday so far in, in my life. It feels monumental, you know, like it feels like I've been pushed into a brand new, like more mature, just different season of life. Like it's been monumental for me. And that's what this passage is. It's monumental. It's been monumental for me. Y'all, this passage has the potential to change everything. It can push you into a more mature uh, season of your faith right? If you really study it and apply it to your lives, that's what it's been for me. And I really want that for, for y'all too. So let's, let's try to break this passage down and let me show you what I'm talking about. Let me show you what I've learned from this. So first of all, Paul says, first two verses, Ephesians 3, 14 through 15, he says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. So Paul is saying, when I think of all this, when I think of all the things, pretty much all the things I've said so far in this letter, everything Pastor Josh has done such a great job talking about so far in this series, Paul says, in light of all that, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything. Now, we got to stop and talk about that for just a second. Before Paul even starts his prayer for these people that he loves so much, he, he gives us a little tip on how we should pray. He says he gets on his knees, right? But the point is the point that you literally have to get on your knees every time you pray. I don't think it is. I don't think that's the point. You can pray standing up. You can pray in your car. You know, you can pray in the shower, whatever. You don't have to hit your knees every time you pray. I don't think that's the idea here. But what is getting on your knees a symbol of? You know, it's a symbol of humility, right? It's a symbol of, uh, of surrender. After a long, you know, high-speed chase, what does the cop say when he finally catches the bad guy? He says, you know, get on your knees. And, and what is the bad guy doing when he gets on his knees? He, he's surrendering, right? And, and why is he surrendering? Because he realizes that the cop has him under his authority. Paul is saying, surrender to God when you pray. Approach God in humility when you pray. Recognize that God has authority over you and surrender to him with reverence. So, so here's my first point when it comes to praying for the people you love. And we should have it up on the screen. First of all, pray for them with reverence. Pray for them with reverence. And reverence just means respect and honor. Paul says, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. The Father. Paul says, I pray to the Father God, the what? The creator of everything. He is the Father of everything. That's who we pray to when we pray. That's what we need to keep in mind when we pray. Now, now listen, God is also our Father. If we put our faith in Jesus, He's adopted us as, as His children, and we can think of God like our Father. We can approach Him like our Father. We can have bold access to Him thanks to what Jesus did on the cross for us. And, and yes, God loves us and is always there for us like a good Father is. Of course He is, but a good child respects and honors and has some sort of reverence for their Father, right? Like I think about my daughter, uh, Daisy, I, I want to be able to speak to, uh, to Daisy freely. I, you know, I want her to crawl up on my lap and, and tell me about her day. I want her to open up to me and be herself with me. My daughter doesn't have to speak to me in like King James, Old English. You know, she doesn't have to be like, Father, may I have another Pop-Tart, please, sir? She doesn't have to do that. But at the same time, I'm her father, 
you know? I'm her father. I have authority over her. So she better talk to me with like some level of respect. Like recently she started picking up on the fact that my given legal name is not Daddy McKenzie. Uh, she heard my, my wife call for me one day. She was like, uh, Brandon, come here. And, and, and Daisy for the rest of the day kept saying, Brandon, come here. Brandon, do this. Brandon, do that. And I shut that down quick, y'all, right? Like, you ain't going to call me Brandon. Yes, I'm her father, but I'm also her father. You know, there's going to be some respect there. So yes, God is our father, but he is also the father. He is the creator. He has authority over everything and everyone. He has authority over us. So we're going to recognize that authority when we pray. Yes, God is your father. Yes, he loves you. Listen to me, unconditionally, if you put your faith in Jesus, but he is also the all-powerful creator of heaven and earth. He's also the one who can flood the planet whenever he wants to. He's also the one who can melt away the heavens and the earth whenever he wants to. So we approach God with humility and with reverence. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says if you don't have humility, God won't even listen to your prayers. He will ignore your call. He will leave you on red. The Bible says God opposes the proud, opposes them, but gives grace to the humble. Or listen to this. This is crazy. Hebrews 5, 7, it's talking about Jesus. says, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers. Listen to this. Because of his deep reverence for God. Did y'all catch that? That's crazy. God heard Jesus's prayers because of Jesus's deep reverence for God. You'd think it would say God heard Jesus's prayers. I don't know, because he's Jesus, right? But he says Jesus was heard because of his reverence. And if that applies to Jesus, how much more do you think that applies to you and me? So this is really important. I think that's why Paul starts off this way, just reminding us of who we're talking to when we pray. And that's going to be a, a major theme this morning throughout this passage, the importance and the power of prayer. And the reason that prayer is so important and powerful is because of who we're talking to when we pray. So when you are praying for the people you love, first of all, remember, hey, pray for them with reverence. That's what Paul wants us to know first. Okay, so now Paul he hasn't started his prayer yet. Now he's starting his prayer. Ephesians 3.16. He says, I pray that from his glorious, from God's glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. So the first thing you should pray for when you're praying for the people you love is this. Pray that God would give them inner strength. Pray that God would give them inner strength. Paul said, I pray that from God's glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower y'all with inner strength. Think about that for a second. Unlimited resources. Imagine that uh, Elon Musk, you know, showed up to, to church this morning. This guy has an estimated net worth, at least according to Google, of $251 billion. I mean, just imagine meeting and talking with someone with, with those kind of resources. Like, wow, I'm talking to someone who has the resources to do so, so much, so much more than I can even imagine. Like, he could probably sell one of his cars and pay off this church building, and we could do so much more ministry, you know. He could, like, pay off one of his cars and end starvation in a whole country, you know. Like, the resources this guy has are insane. And what if Elon came to church and you started talking to Elon in the lobby and Elon's like, hey, you know what? I'm in a generous mood today. Just ask me anything you want and I'll buy it for you. Anything. What'd you ask Elon for? Would you ask Elon for you know, the big case of ramen noodles from Walmart? No. You go big. A new car, your dream car, a new house, your dream house. Why? Because you know Elon has the resources to give you something big like that, huge like that, insane like that, so easily. Y'all, 
what, what Paul just wants us to understand here is God owns everything. Everything. God has unlimited resources. $250 billion is pocket change. And get this, God has given us the ability to speak to him and to bring our requests to him anytime we want. But why are so many of us asking God for ramen noodles? Paul doesn't say from God's glorious unlimited resources, I pray that God would heal Mr. Whiskers. I pray that God would heal Jessica's big toe. And think about this, Paul doesn't even say anything like, from God's unlimited resources, I pray that God would help my friend Jim in Ephesus stop watching so much porn. Paul doesn't say, from your unlimited resources, God, I pray that Bobby from Ephesus stops drinking so much. Paul doesn't say, I pray that from your unlimited resources, God, I pray that you would help my friend Sarah from Ephesus with her anxiety. No, Paul says, I pray that from your glorious unlimited resources, God, I pray that you would empower these people that I love with inner strength. This is so radical today. You don't want to miss this. Paul is praying for inner strength for these people that he loves. He's not praying for a quick fix of the side effect of their current lack of inner strength, right? Y'all, when you pray for the people you love, pray for the inside. Pray that God will give them inner strength. And then from that inner strength that we pray for, that's something only God can give, from that inner strength, from that power of God inside of them, the outward stuff will naturally change. And I know this is very humbling for some of us because this means that you have to give the outward situations with your loved ones, whatever they are, whatever the situations are, completely to God. You can't control it. You can't fix it. You do not have the resources to truly fix or help anyone you love with their real internal struggles. Some of us think like this, man, if I could just get my kids to stop hanging out with this crowd or make some better friends, man, if I could just get my wife to stop doing this or my husband to start doing this. No, no, no. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do. You will never be able to give anyone the inner strength, the inner power to change them for the better. You don't have unlimited resources. You are a beggar, just like me. All we can do as beggars is pray to the one, beg the one who does have unlimited resources. Beg God that he would empower the people we love with inner strength, inner power. Y'all, most prayer requests are about outwardly things, right? But what Paul is saying is I'm praying something better for y'all. I'm praying that your inward circumstances would change. I'm praying for inner strength strength because the outward stuff can only change if the inward stuff changes. And the only one who has the resources, the power to change the inward stuff is God. So it's okay to pray for, you know, Jim to stop drinking. It's even okay to pray for, for Mr. Whiskers. That's not bad, but here's the point. Paul is showing us that if we are not begging God to give the people we love inner strength in our prayer time for them, our prayers, our access to God is being wasted. Because we are using our access to God to pray for ramen noodles instead of a new house. So the first thing we pray for the people who we love is inner strength. We pray for the inside condition, not a quick fix of the outside condition. That's something only God can do. That's something you can only go to God for. That's something only he has the resources to do. Let's keep going. Verse 17, Paul says, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. So here's the second thing to pray for the people that you love. Pray that Christ would make his home in their hearts. Paul says, I pray that Jesus would make his home in your hearts, people. Other translations say, your Bible might say, uh, I pray that Christ would dwell in your hearts. Now you may be thinking, well, is Paul praying that these people he loves would get saved and meet Jesus because God puts his spirit in us? Jesus dwells in us when we put our faith in him and get saved, right? No, that can't be what Paul's saying. Can't be what Paul's praying because these people are already Christians. 
They're already a church. They're already a body of believers. So, so here's the deal. Like I said, your Bible might translate this verse as dwell in your hearts, but I think the NLT, the version that I'm using this morning, translates this particular verse a lot better when it says, I pray that God would make his home in your hearts. Because the original Greek word there, and, and y'all should see how I have this typed out in my notes. It's definitely not how it's spelled. It's just how it sounds. Uh, but it is katoikeo. Katoikeo. And listen to this. This word that's used to trans, that trans, that translates to dwell, this word is also a word that the New Testament uses to describe someone being possessed by a demon. And it means to settle down, to inhabit, to take possession of, to take ownership of. That's what Paul's praying for these people that he loves, that Christ would take ownership of their hearts. I believe it's possible for someone to be a born-again Christian, to be saved, to be going to heaven when they die, to have Jesus dwelling in their hearts, but at the same time, not letting Jesus take full possession of their hearts, not letting Jesus have full control of their lives, not letting Jesus settle down and, and, and make his home in their hearts. Maybe that's some of y'all. You know, maybe you put your faith in Jesus, you're saved. Jesus is, is in your heart, but Jesus is more like a guest in your heart than the owner of your heart. And, and yeah, you might be getting into heaven. Maybe you're actually saved, but man, you are missing out. You're missing out on the life that God has in store for you because Jesus is just a guest in your heart, not the owner of your heart. And what do good guests do? Good guests, and Jesus is a good guest, good guests only go into the rooms they've been invited in. Whenever my family and I go back home to uh, Savannah, Georgia, we stay in my in-laws' house. We are guests in their house. We're not owners. So we only go in the rooms that we've been invited in because we're guests in the home. It would be weird if my father-in-law woke up at like 2 a.m. and goes to his master bathroom and his bedroom and he finds me sitting on his throne in there. That would be weird. Why? Because I'm a guest, right? Guests don't do that. So guests only go in the rooms that they've been invited in. Also, my wife and I don't walk around my in-law's house and we're standing there and be like, I don't really like these curtains in this room. I don't really like the paint color in this room. Let's run to Lowe's real quick. Let's grab a different color for this room. I don't really like the wall here. Let's bust this wall down. You know, we don't do that if we're a guest. But when you buy a home, it's different, right? When you buy a home, man, you go crazy because you dwell there. The projects never end. The renovations never end because you dwell there. You live there. You own the house, or at least you pay the mortgage, right? The, that, that's your home. You've settled there. You've taken possession of it. Taken possession of it. You're the owner. Paul is praying that Jesus would be the owner of these people he loves hearts, not a guest in their heart. Y'all, Jesus wants to make his home in your heart. And trust me, you want Jesus to make his home in your heart. You want Christ to make his home in your heart. Things would be a lot better for you if you did. And Jesus wants to have access to every room, and he wants to be able to renovate whatever he wants to renovate, whenever he wants to renovate it, and whatever he, room he wants. So like, does Jesus have access to your living room, you know, where your TV is, where you may listen to music, whatever? In other words, do you consider Jesus when you're consuming entertainment, you know? All right, I just watched Game of Thrones for the fight scenes. Come on, you know? Or speaking of TV, do you consider Jesus when you're watching the Vols lose to Georgia for the seventh time in a row? So you consider Jesus in the language you use when you're watching that happen. Too soon? Don't care. Jesus wants access to your living room. Jesus also wants access to your, to your bedroom. You know, us married people, Jesus wants to be all up in our marriage. He wants to be involved in the decisions we make as married couples. And then single people, do you consider Jesus when you're in your bedroom with your boyfriend, with your girlfriend? Or is that a room where you just kind of push Jesus out and close the door? Oh, Jesus, you can go in any other room, okay? But you can't come in this room. 
Jesus wants to be the master of your kitchen. Have you been eating way too much? Has your God been your stomach? I know this is shocking to tell by looking at me, but this has been a struggle of mine. I know, I know. But I don't want Jesus in my kitchen, you know? You're looking at a guy who not too long ago could just absolutely demolish two whole tombstone pizzas if he wanted to, and I was proud of it, okay? But I've realized that's just gluttony, and the Bible talks about that. It is a sin against God. The Bible is clear on that, so I've been really trying to let Jesus in my kitchen. Jesus also wants to be the master of your guest room. You know, who are the people that you let in your life, that you let have influence in your life? Do you consider Jesus in that? Jesus wants to be the master of your kids' rooms. Do you consider Jesus when it comes to your, your kids? How are you training your kids? What are you prioritizing in your kids' life? Is their relationship with Jesus, their eternal life, your number one priority, or is it trophy? Good grades. Then being popular because you're weirdly like living through your kids. Jesus also wants to be the master of your hidden closet where only the stuff you know about is in there, where your hidden junk is. He wants to bring all that out and clean out your closet. Go full Slim Shady. Millennials will get that joke. Apparently there's none in here because that flopped. But anyway, Jesus wants to make some changes. He wants to do some renovating. And Paul is praying this for the people he loves because Paul knows that we as humans are all terrible housekeepers when it comes to our hearts. We're all terrible handymen when it comes to our hearts. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus was a carpenter here on this earth, and he was really good at building tables or doing masonry or whatever it was he did, but he was even, he's even better at renovating hearts, I promise. So we pray that Jesus would make his home in the hearts of the people we love because we want their homes. We, want their, we love them. So we want their homes. We want their hearts to be in good shape. We don't want their homes to fall apart and to, and to break. So we pray this for the people we love because when Jesus takes ownership of their heart, their heart will radically change for the better. And as a result, man, their lives will radically change for the better. Let's keep reading Ephesians 3.17b. Your roots, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. So here's the next thing. Pray, when you're praying for the people you love, pray that they would be rooted. Pray they'd be rooted. So Michaela and I, my wife and I's first house, I hesitate to even call it a house. It was more like a shack. Actually, it was a deer hunting lodge is what it was, but the guy was renting it real cheap and we were broke. And so, but I loved it because it was right on this little pond. And on this pond, there was this tree. And uh, the thing about this tree was it was so beautiful in every season. It was beautiful in every season. My wife, every season of the year, would take a picture of this tree. She didn't even realize that she did it until she looked back in her photos. But she just naturally took a picture of this tree in every season because it was beautiful in every season. I think I have a picture. I don't know if you'll be able to see it very well. But that's the tree, and we just kind of framed it and did something really cool. But look at that. Every season, there's something beautiful about about this tree. You know, Uh, It was beautiful in every season. But why? Because it was well-rooted. And not only was it beautiful, it was strong. We had a, a hurricane came, come through one year. Y'all don't know about hurricanes, but us from South Georgia do. Uh, they come through uh, all the time in the summer, and we had one come through one year, and trees all around us had fallen over, but not this one. Why? Because it was well-rooted. Paul is saying, I want you to be beautiful in every season. I want you to be strong in the hurricanes. But in order to do that, you got to have roots. You got to be well-rooted. So I'm praying for roots for y'all. Y'all, people wither away. They fall away from Jesus without roots. I've probably seen it literally hundreds of times. Yeah, I follow Jesus. Yeah, I'm a Christian. And then they get a new boyfriend, a new girlfriend who doesn't love Jesus. And then bam, they walk away. Why? Because they were never really rooted, right? Yeah, I follow Jesus. Yeah, I'm a Christian. But then they meet some friends who don't follow Jesus. And then bam, they walk away from Jesus. Why? 
because there were no roots there. They weren't rooted. Yeah, I follow Jesus. Yeah, I'm a Christian. And then something really hard happens in their life, and they walk away. Why? Because they weren't really rooted. There are a lot of people who are Christians, but they walk away from Jesus. They walk away from his amazing calling for their lives because they weren't rooted. But Paul is praying that these people he loves will be rooted in God's love so they don't walk away from Jesus when the different seasons of life come. And so that they would be beautiful in every season. Well, okay, Brandon, that sounds good. I want to be rooted. That sounds great. What do I need to do? Uh, Are you going to say, do I need to pray more? Do I need to read my Bible more, go to church more, serve more, give more money to the church? Nope. Nope. Those things are great for your, your spiritual growth, don't get me wrong, but they will not give you roots. They will not give you what you need to withstand the hurricanes, y'all. There is nothing you can do to give yourself roots. Like, I'm rooted, y'all. I really am. I couldn't imagine walking away from Jesus. I'm not saying I don't sin or wonder, away, wonder from Jesus from time to time, but I've never walked away from him. I could never walk away from him. I just couldn't even imagine that because I'm rooted. And, and like a lot of y'all, I've been through some difficult things, and I've been faced with some really tempting temptations, but I've never walked truly walked away from Jesus since the day that I started following him. Why? Because I'm rooted. But it's not because of some Bible reading plan I did. It's not because of a sermon I heard. It's not because I went to church every Sunday. It's not because I listened to only worship music. I could not root myself. Y'all, this is what Paul's trying to help us to see. This is only something we can come to God for. This is a work of God. God had to root me. God has to root you. We can't root ourselves. God is the only one who has the resources to give us roots. Y'all, you can't train your kids into being rooted. It doesn't matter if they watch VeggieTales instead of Peppa Pig, which, by the way, Peppa Pig is awesome. Daddy Pig is hilarious. Let them watch Peppa Pig, okay? You can't root your kids no matter what you do. You can't train your spouse into being rooted no matter what you do. You can't train your friends into being rooted. That is a work of God. So that only comes from doing what Paul is doing right now for this group of people he loves, falling to your knees and begging God to give the person you love real roots. Pray that they would be rooted. Are we seeing the overall big picture here yet? Prayer is important. I I think we tend to downplay prayer. I'm going out of my zone here, sorry. I think we tend to downplay prayer. You know why? Yeah, out of bounds. Because we puff our role up so much. We, we downplay prayer because we puff our roll up like we can do this. We can change them. We can give them roots. No, you can't. So prayer is critical. Got to wrap our heads around that. You desperately need prayer, and the people you love desperately need prayer, especially if you want them to be rooted, beautiful in every season, strong in every storm. Let's keep reading. Ephesians 3, 18 through 19. Paul says, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ so it is too great to understand fully. So here's the next thing we pray for the people we love. Pray that they would get the love of Jesus. Now, if they put their faith in Jesus, they have got it. They've received it. But what Paul's saying is pray that they would just get it. You know, pray that they would understand it. I want you to come as close to understanding how much Jesus really loves you as humanly possible. And I know that seems kindergarten, like Jesus loves me, this I know. Do you really know it though? Because I think if you really knew it, I think if you really knew how much Jesus loves you, I'm not sure that some of us will be living our lives the way that we're currently living them. 
Paul is saying, I want y'all to be regularly, daily wowed by the enormity of Jesus's love for you. I just pray that, that God would give y'all the power to understand the perfect, perfect love of Jesus Christ. Why? Because perfect love casts out fear, right? That's what 1 John says. Perfect love casts out anxieties and worries and, and doubts. So if you got someone you love who's struggling with that kind of stuff, man, pray that they would understand the perfect love of Christ because perfect love casts out fear. Yeah, I could be stressing about this. Man, this is really scary. I could be anxious about this situation, but man, I know how wide, how long, how high, and how deep the love of Christ is for me. I know that. So how can I be worried when I know that the creator of the universe loves me that much? And that's who's in my corner. Understanding the enormity of Christ's love also casts out jealousy, right? Like, man, they have a really nice truck. They've got a really nice house. They've got some really well-behaved kids. Man, I wish like I wish I looked like this girl on Instagram. I wish I looked like this guy on, on, on Instagram. He's, he's, he can eat whatever he wants and he still has abs. I can't do that. You know, jealousy. I could be jealous, but I know how wide, how long, how high, and how deep Christ's love is for me. So I know that whatever God has given me, whatever God has called me to do with my life, it's got to be what's best for me. It's just, it's just got to be because I know how much he loves me. So it's just got to be what's best. Um, something that uh, my wife and I have really struggled with, uh, uh, something that God has called my wife and I to be that we've really struggled with is special needs parents. Uh, our oldest son, Bear, uh, he's got some pre pretty severe special needs. He's got cerebral palsy, so he can't walk, he can't talk. And, and I'll be honest, there's a, there's a long period of time. He's either six or seven. I forget my, all my kids' his age, but six or seven years old. And there was a few years there uh, where I was just jealous. I was just jealous when I'd see uh, other kids walking, other kids talking, uh, other dads, you know, playing ball with their kids. I was just jealous of that. But what has got me through this, and I think my wife would say the same thing, what has got us through this is just understanding the enormity of Christ's love. That's it. Uh, just, it's understanding, okay, well, I know this, this is confusing. I don't understand this. I don't like this, but I know how much he loves me. So this has got to be what's best for me. I, I don't understand it, but it's just got to be because I understand the enormity of Christ's love. Understanding the enormity of Christ's love cast out guilt and, and shame, right? Like, man, I gossiped again. Man, I overate again. I watched porn again. Man, I drank again. Man, I, I, I yelled at the kids again. Man, I slept with my girlfriend again. But I know how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is for me. So I'm not going to back away. I'm going to push forward. I'm going to get back up. I'm going to keep pushing to be better. And I'm going to follow him more closely because I know he loves me. I know there's no sin that can separate me from his perfect love. Paul is just praying that these people he loves would get how big this is, y'all. This is big. This is big what we're doing. It's not a cultural thing. It's a supernatural thing what we're doing. Paul is praying, God, help them to see this is so much bigger than what they think it is. They think it's about going to church and praying a prayer and serving in kids' ministry and tithing and raising their hands when they sing. But this is so much bigger than all of that. This life of following Jesus is about staring at this incredibly, absolutely enormous, never-ending mountain that is the love of Jesus Christ and just being in all of it. You know, and then and then living life from the knowledge of that love. So pray that they would see that mountain, you know, because once they see that mountain, they can't unsee it and it will radically affect everything they do for the better. It will change their life for the better. And don't you want that for the people you love? 
Paul keeps praying. This is the end of his prayer. He says, Ephesians 3, 19, B through 21, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. So to sum all that up as best as I can in one sentence, because that's really all I have time to do, uh, pray that their lives will bring glory to God. Pray their lives will bring glory to God. Paul ends his prayer with God's glory. He says, I pray that y'all would be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God alone. And here's why. The reason, he connects it right, right away. He says the reason is so that y'all would bring glory to God with your lives. It's all about God's glory. Y'all, I want people to see the fullness of God in me. I want God to be glorified in everywhere I go to everyone around me. Trust me, the world does not need more Brandon. Okay, the world needs Jesus and what Jesus can offer. So do people see the fullness of God in you? Is God really truly glorified in your life? Or would people be surprised or confused when you tell them that you even go to church? You know, is your life confusing to people? Let me just tell you about one of the most confusing experiences of my life to make this point. It still like creeps me out to this day. I don't truly understand what happened, but it was after I was preaching at Rev Students back when we were at the mall and uh, I got done preaching. And what I would do back then is I would walk out the back door. And if you remember, there was like a, I guess, deck or a porch or something back there. And I would stand back there and just, you know, catch my breath um, because I talk really fast. And so I was catching my breath back there. And I don't remember seeing him like walk up to me. As far as I know, he just kind of appeared next to me. But uh, there was his old man. All of a sudden, just this old man standing next to me. He has this long white beard. He's wearing normal people clothes, but he's just standing right there smiling. And he had this glass of uh, this glass, and he had this gallon of milk in the other hand. And he looked at me and he said, "Hi, would you like a glass of milk?" No, no, thanks. Okay, and I kid you not, he walked into the woods and disappeared. I, is it an angel? I don't know. I, I should I have drank the milk? I think about it at least twice a week, okay? I don't know what that was. The most confusing experience of my life. There's no, like, if you're wondering what happened, that's it. But here's the reality. I think spiritually, that's the way some of us are looked at by the people in our lives, right? The people around us. Like, like, like What? I don't understand that guy. I don't understand that girl. They're a Christian. I would have never guessed that. That's really confusing because they never really act like it. It never really shows. I mean, I guess they don't cuss as much or drink as much, but they never really mention God. They, they never really seem to do anything about this Jesus stuff. Like what in the world? They go to church. They got a cross tattoo. They got a Bible verse on their Instagram bio. That's confusing. But Paul is praying against that kind of confusing, fence-riding, lukewarm, if there is such a thing, Christianity. Paul is saying, I pray that you would be a clear, obvious light to the world, a light to the office, a light in your workplace, a light in your schools, a light on your team, a light to the world. I pray that God will be glorified clearly through your life, that your lifestyle would not be confusing to people, that it would be clear, hey, I love Jesus and I follow Jesus Christ and God is glorified in my life. I pray that will be clear for y'all. And listen, Paul is not just praying this for them for, for God's glory's sake. He's also praying this prayer for these people he loves for their sake. Because essentially what Paul is praying for is he's praying, I pray that y'all would discover and walk in the purpose of your life. Because I don't know if you know, but that's it. To bring glory to God, to make Jesus famous with your life. 
So many people ask every day, man, what's the meaning of life? What am I, what am I here for? I just don't understand my existence. Well, what's the point of all this? Here it is. You ready? To glorify Jesus. That's what you were made to do. That's what you were made to do. That's what you were put on this earth to do. That's what the people you love were made to do. That's what we were all made for. Everyone who has ever lived, everyone who God has ever allowed to be born into this world was born for one uh, amazing, glorious, adventurous, scary, wild, incredible, beautiful purpose, and that is to bring glory to God with their lives. Colossians 1.16 says, for through him, it's talking about Jesus, through him, Jesus, God created everything. And by the way, you fall under the category of everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Listen to this last part really closely. Everything, you and me, everything, everyone was created through him, through Jesus, and what? For him, for Jesus. That's what you were made for, Jesus. So are you living your life the way you were made to live your life? Glorifying God. Have you experienced the purpose and the joy and the peace and the power of literally doing what you were put on this earth to do? Have you experienced that? Some of you may have been avoiding your true purpose for years to bring glory to God with your life, but it's not too late. We've talked about him for three weeks now. I'm going to mention him one more time. We may mention him again, but I'm going to mention him one more time. My boy George, I believe he's 88 years old, just put his faith in Jesus a couple Sundays ago. He did not, he, he's not saying, I'm too old. Uh, it's, it's over. No, he said, I mean, I'm going to start walking to my purpose right now at 88 years old, and God's going to be glorified through my life right now. And he has been. Hundreds of people have heard the gospel through this man's story already in three weeks, y'all. God has been glorified through this guy. So not too late. Not too late, okay? Is God glorified in your life? Are you that light? Are you doing what you were made to do? Are you experiencing the joy and the peace of really, truly, clearly, no doubt about it, all the way in, following Jesus? Are you just kind of riding the fence and wondering why you're saved, but you're still, I'm still so depressed, or why you're saved, or I still have this horrible addiction, or why you're saved, but you're still struggling with this and that, but is God glorified in your life? Because you're here to glorify God. That's your purpose, and if you're not walking your purpose, of course you're going to struggle. Of course you are. Are you walking in your purpose to make Jesus famous to those who don't know him, to create more glory bringers, you know? And pray that prayer for the people you love too, because if you really love them, don't you want them to walk in their purpose and experience that fulfillment and joy that comes from walking in their purpose? So to recap, how do you pray for the people you love? First of all, pray for them with reverence. Pray that God will give them inner strength. Pray that God will make his home in their hearts. Pray that they would be rooted. Pray that they would get, come as close to understanding the love of Jesus as possible. And pray that their lives would bring glory to God And hey, I want to pray that prayer for y'all right now. So let me pray. God, first of all, thank you. Thank you for allowing me this broken mess, this sinful human to to speak to you, the creator of everything. God, God, forgive me for the times when I come to you forgetting how amazing it is that I actually get to talk to you. Thank you for sending your one and only son, Jesus Christ, the third person of the Trinity, God, to die for me and my sins so that I can have bold access to you, so that I can bring my request to the God of unlimited resources. God, I pray for this group of people, this church that I've grown to really, really love over the last six or so years. God, I pray that from your unlimited, unlimited, unlimited resources that you would empower these people here with inner strength. 
I know that there are so many problems and health issues and addictions and, and marriage issues and, and heartbreak and pain and sadness in this room today. But instead of praying for a quick fix to those problems, I want to I pray for inner strength for us. Please give us inner strength. Fix us on the inside so that we can be fixed on the outside. And that only comes from you. God, I pray that you would make your home in our hearts. I pray that you would, you would allow us, give us the power to give you access to every room in our hearts, every room, that we would make you the owner of our hearts so that you can come in and renovate the things that need to be renovated, change the things that, that need to be changed in order for us to live the kind of life you want us to live. God, I pray, that, I pray for roots for the people in this room. I pray that you would give us roots, God, so that when the inevitable hard times come, and when the inevitable temptations in life come, I, I pray that our roots will be strong and that we wouldn't be blown away by those hurricanes and that we wouldn't walk away from our Heavenly Father. I pray that we would be beautiful in every season. We can only do that with roots, and I pray for roots for us, God. I pray that we would come as close to understanding the love of Jesus as possible. I pray that people in this room would come as close to understanding the love of Jesus as humanly possible so that fear and anxiety and jealousy can be cast out of our lives, and we can live our lives from the knowledge of your love. And lastly, Lord, I pray that our lives would bring glory to you. I pray that the people in this room would just quit sitting on the fence and finally start doing what they were made to do and quit being their own worst enemy and walk in their true purpose and their true calling and experience the freedom and the peace and the joy and the fulfillment that only comes from doing that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.